Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. Now, a bit of a change-up in the schedule that I announced on a previous episode. On this episode, I'm going to bring you an interview I did with the band Eliminator, a UK-based new wave of traditional heavy metal band who've had one album out and several singles and a couple of other releases. And I am going to put that out now just because they've just released their new single, Arrival, and I think it's a timely episode because of that. I am also still working on the final episode for Ark Sabbath. Uh, these things take me hours. You're probably sick of listening to me talking about that, but... um. It just takes me a long time to put the pieces together on this final one. I'm I'm going to try and get everybody who was on the arc in in some way. So that's 10 different people who I've spoken to. Uh, and try and get everybody's voice on there for the final episode. And also finish out the remaining years of Black Sabbath. And that covers a, a long period of time. Actually 20 years or so. Um, now there wasn't a massive amount of activity in those 20 years. But still it's a, it's a large period of time to cover in one episode. But I plan to get it out shortly. I know I announced I was going to try and have an episode out every Friday. Look, it just didn't work out for me. Um, I'm going to keep trying to get that regular schedule back, but things get in the way. Things like uh, the Keep It True Festival, which I'm just back from, Keep It True Rising, which was in Würzburg in Germany uh, last weekend as I record this. And what a bloody fucking brilliant experience that was. I'd like to do a short episode on my thoughts on that festival. I do have a lot to say, but just in brief here, it was brilliant to be able to be back at a music festival it's been such a long time since i've been at one i haven't even been to a live concert since march 2020 so it was great to be back in that atmosphere and what a well organized and well run festival it was in extremely difficult times they did a fantastic job at organizing it the sound was fantastic the venue was great um, and all of the people i met there as well were just sound heavy metal loving beer drinking good blokes and some females as well um but predominantly males um and it was just a really really enjoyable experience and there were several excellent bands so i hope to get some thoughts out about that soon but yeah um the arc arc sabbath uh, certain things got in the way of of that you know i was doing my senjutsu review i had a interview with mick wall as well to fill out the last few episodes of of the arc so um i'm looking to get that out asap but this episode focuses on the band Eliminator, as I said at the start. This was a, a unique one for me in that I interviewed three members of a band at the same time, something I've never done. Uh, I've never even had two people on the call at the same time for a podcast episode for Feckin' Metal. And that was Jack, Jamie and Danny from Eliminator. Their first album was out, their first full album was out in 2018. It's called Last Horizon. And recently they've released two singles, Silent Stone and Arrival, from the forthcoming album Ancient Light, which will be available in January 2022. So here is the chat I had with Eliminator back in October. Some of the references are slightly dated now. For example, the tour that they were supposed to be supporting Seven Sisters on got cancelled early. Um... And obviously they have new music out since then. But anyway, here's this chat I did with Jack, Jamie and Danny from Eliminator. I know, Danny, you're the newest member of the band. You joined in 2017, I think. Uh, something like that, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jack and Jamie, you've been there since the beginning. Uh, so the band started around 2010. Sort of. I, mean, I think uh, there was probably a version of it going since about... 2008 but mm, that wasn't really what it is now i think we were just more fucking around doing covers and things like that there might be a couple of original numbers but right okay okay I'll say 2010 is probably like when it's like right this is the one I okay and, and since then now you've got a, a one ep a couple of singles one full length and another one on the way you just released uh, your new single silent stone there recently um so for people who aren't familiar with you um, who might be listening to this, how would you describe the sound of Eliminator if you were to kind of put into words what type of music, what type of metal you play? Who wants to feel that one? <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think you should feel it, Jack, because you probably have the, uh, the the strongest opinions on everything. Do you think so? Um, <laughs> I I would just say it's it's heavy metal. Straightforward heavy metal. Plain and simple. Yeah. No frills, okay. No frills, two guitars, bass, drums, singing, heavy metal. You know, when I, when I tell people um, I work with that I play in a heavy metal band, I normally have to like follow it up with, but it's not the super screamy stuff. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> when you say heavy metal to people, they think of people that, you know, like, <laughs> like the death metal stuff. Um, 
I have to tell them it, it's not like that. It's more like, you know, melodic stuff, maybe uh, more guitar driven than um, screaming driven, I guess. See, that's the thing. Like, as a fan of heavy metal as well, talking to non-metal fans, they automatically assume when you say metal, they think of things like death metal or extreme metal. And Danny, obviously, you're, you're a very melodic vocalist and more in the old school style of what Jack was kind of talking about there. But how do you feel like with the public perception of metal nowadays that people do automatically assume it's screamy stuff? Have you had to deal with that a lot? Um, well, I've, I've I've actually had like partners who who don't know anything about metal, and then mm. um, as soon as they find out like oh, I'm a vocalist, yeah, they do assume um, you're going to be screaming. And then when they actually will hear me sing, like oh, you're actually singing, yeah. Um, but I think that's that's the only, that's the extent of it, really. Um, yeah, if if you talk to you know people you work with about about this sort of stuff, like uh, you, you do get the same thing, but it, it doesn't really matter. Like, um, as soon as you say, you know, like, or oh, 80s, you know, think of like, you know, Van Halen, uh, you know, Judas Priest, Time Made, and they instantly understand what you mean. You know, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Of course. Okay. But you've had obviously uh, as a band, you've had uh, numerous singers coming through. So you had a uh, Tak Maratta, uh, you had Seb Overton, and David Pugh uh, before Danny joined the band. Um, was there any? particular reason or a common reason why multiple singers came through the band i know it's kind of common in bands in the early days and stuff but was there an issue particularly because the rest of the band has remained solid was there an issue particularly with finding a singer that fit it's just just finding somebody that uh was sort of able to do what we envisaged what we wanted to do um i mean yeah sort of heavy metal singers are um fairly rare mm. uh, and I suppose, you know, at, at the time, the people that were performing with like, well, you know, that's that will do. But then you, you develop as a band, you want to do more stuff and they, you know, sort of may not necessarily be on board with that or you know, they sort of might not be able to do what we had in mind. Um, I mean, ha- having said that, uh, interestingly enough, we, we actually knew Danny for many, many years before he joined the band. Uh, he, he just never mentioned to us that he was a really good singer when we were looking for singers. <laughs> and usually singers are very happy to tell people how good of a singer they are. So uh, <laughs> good stuff. Um, all right. So you you released uh, your initial EP back in 2011, uh, We Ruled the Night. You recorded it in Jamie's shop. He has a video game shop. Uh, I assume you're obviously a big video game player as well, owning a shop. Not anymore. All right. Okay. Um, no, I don't have time for any of that anymore. But uh, at, at the time when we were doing the We Were All the Night stuff, I, I did I did own a shop and we okay. kind of had the luxury of having like two floors in it and um, it wasn't joined onto anyone else. So we could go in there and make loads of noise at nighttime. Yeah. Um, so we did. We actually did We Were All the Night in, was it your flat? And then the other two tracks were doing the shop. It was the bonus tracks. That's right. It was the bonus tracks. Bonus tracks the the shop. It was it was in my flat that we did the recording. Why am I always the one who gets the place to record? That's because um, you have the best place to do it in. Yeah, I had a flat in Lancaster um, near the pub that we all used to drink in. And um, we kind of like decked out the living room with like a full drum kit and a PA system. And we put like vocal booth we made upstairs and... Yeah, we just recorded the the record there on Matt's uh, Matt's our rhythm guitarist. We recorded it on his kind of digital home studio. Very good. And I was reading them um, from your Facebook page. You were kind of doing a series of posts there recently. So you borrowed equipment. You you're putting duvets up and all that type of stuff. So kind of very much DIY stuff um, back in those days. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was that was crazy. Um, there was a shop like just over the road from the flat run by some friends of ours and it was mainly like a, a fireworks shop to start with but then they did audio equipment as well and jack worked there for a while and we ended up just getting loads of stuff off and like borrowing everything and also getting loads of fireworks which was also cool <laughs> yeah nice, like uh, it sounds <laughs> nice park there as well um and then like danny were you like you've known the lads for a long time but were you following them were you aware of uh, eliminator back then uh, musically like uh, would you go to gigs and stuff like that i think uh the first time we saw you was it the was it like the EP release show back in Burnley or around that time? It was you just you'd released it very, you know, very soon to when you played that show in Burnley, right? I think we know um, because uh, you and the like Burnley guys came to the release show because Kyle's bands was one of the support acts, so right. we must have known you prior to that. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was so long ago, like, uh, maybe it's getting a little hazy. I, I think but... we used to play Burnley a whole load before we recorded the record. I'm sure of it. So we, mm. we used to do loads of shows there and play, yeah. like, two yeah. hours and play Iron Maiden covers and all the Burnley guys were there. That's how we met. That's how we met Kyle from Seven Sisters. So tell um, me about the, the Burnley Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, well, I'm from Burnley and so is Kyle from Seven Sisters. We're yeah. uh, like childhood friends. Um, yeah, we just used to go to the uh, local rock, rock club called Sanctuary in Burnley back in the day. Uh, and Kyle, Kyle back then had a thrash band called Asithia, and they always played Sanctuary. Um, and Illuminator played a few times with Asithia, and then we, our sort of friend group uh, met Illuminator, and that's that's how we've been friends, really. Okay, very good. Uh, so, kind of ties gone back a long time. Um, so, like, did it feel good to have something out finally back in uh, 2011? You say there's a version of the band that had been around for a long time playing covers, but I assume it was it was great to actually finally have your own um, original music in a recorded format that you could kind of share with people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it did feel good to get the tracks down. Um, we have been playing that material uh, for quite a bit before actually recording it. So we'd always sort of like padded out the set in the early days with the cover tracks, but those sort of five or six songs that were on that were always in rotation. But yeah, when it finally came out, you know, that's, it's a sense of accomplishment and yeah, we were, we were pleased. I mean, looking back at it now in hindsight, it's pretty crap. <laughs> it doesn't sound very good, but at the time we were like, well, that, you know, we were really pleased with that. All right, then. And then in uh, 2012, you released a song called The Seer, and it had uh, the traitor on the single as well. Um, and that got the attention of Ali from Keep It True. He contacted us um, and asked us if we wanted to release something with his record label that he'd started, Death Rider Records, which I'm going to assume is named after the Omen track. Um and we were just, we'd been planning to go to the studio anyway, so it was quite good timing. We wanted to do a seven inch, so we said, oh, well, we've got these two tracks we're going to do, so if you want to release them as a seven, uh, that would be ideal. And yeah, that's how it, that came about. I think it would have been an email or a Facebook message or something. Very good. And he also put you on the festival as well, so he played Keep It True. I'm guessing it's yeah. around that time, was it around 2012 or something like that? 13, I think. And how, what was that like? I mean, just I, I've never actually been to one myself, although I am going to the Keep It True Rising uh, in mm-hmm. the next oh, month. Um, yeah, but, lucky you. Huh? Lucky you, good lineup. Yeah, no, it looks fantastic. But I was listening through the bands there uh, the other day, and, you know, people down the lower end of the bill, some of them don't even have a full release out. Like, um, and then some of them, a lot of them maybe just have one album and stuff. So you would have been in that bracket back mm-hmm. then. What was it like to be at a festival? which even back then was kind of prestigious in the underground metal scene, um, having very little material out for people to hear. And I'm guessing maybe people didn't really know you. So what was that like being on that bill? Um, well, I, I like the festival. Uh, you know, I've been to the festival quite a few times, keep it true. Um, but, you know, I must admit that gig was a bit of a drag, uh, um, mainly because we arrived at the venue with about 15 minutes to prepare and get on stage and perform. You know, borrowed time, we're playing their last song as our car turned upside as on the venue. <laughs> and then it, so it was a fucking mad panic. No one yeah. was trying to warm up or anything. I don't I don't the show wasn't particularly good. Um but there was there was people there who, who were supporting us who knew the material really well, um, which was encouraging. Um but yeah that is it's not an experience I'd want to repeat like dashing to get okay. on stage for a few minutes to spare with sure. a sound check or anything. And like, I assume you planned to get there earlier. Was there a delayed flight or what happened? Um, no, it was, I mean, that, that's all, all that was sort of uh, permitted. It's like, this is the slot you go on. There is no compromise, irrespective of right, okay. what, what your plane, <laughs> planes landing are or anything like that. You, yeah. you play now. So. I, I think the only flight we could get got us in on that day at that time and I had to message Ollie and say we were meant to be first we were meant to go on before borrow time hmm. originally but then um, yeah I'd say look we just can't get in so he, he said okay that's fine you can have like the second slot but you better be there and I remember we got to like the rental car in the airport and we couldn't figure out how to start the car <laughs> and we were sat there for like 15 minutes like going we need to get to this venue and we couldn't start the engine of the car because you got to like 
press the clutch and then turn the wheel three times or do something stupid. Yeah, anyway. yeah. We, none of us knew, you know. Right, that sounds... Like, I was not remember that. I didn't have a key. So kind, of, kind of spinal tap, tap stuff going on there. Um, so, but, but just playing the festival itself, have you played it since then or um, have you been invited back? No. no. Okay. Um, no. I'm playing it next year with a different band. So good for me. <laughs> okay. Well, what's your other band? Uh, I'm stepping in on bass for another band called Slander. They were a Dwarven band who kind of came out at the end of the Dwarven scene. In fact, it was like 1991. They put out okay. a record called Careless Talk Cost Lives, which is a good record. And uh, yeah, they're doing stuff again. So I'm heading there next year. Very good. And when you did play, like, what was the? I know you said you had some people who were, who were quite close to the music. They were following it. But what was the response like in general? It seemed to be pretty positive, to be honest. How, what, how do you remember it, Jamie? I remember at the time it being it feeling really good and i feel like everyone was definitely into it and i think for like an early afternoon slot i think that's one of the things that festival you know it like it starts in the afternoon of course but it's still pretty busy in the afternoon whereas some places you go and like it will pick up until like 7 8 p.m at night but that place was like full even mm. on two in the afternoon people i remember being really good bands there, though. yeah like, people watch every single band from the beginning to the end of the night um i, I just remember like not being able to enjoy it properly because Fucking it to go on stage, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I think yeah. it was like our biggest gig of the time, which was like scary. And also just before the gig, or maybe a few months before, uh, we parted ways with Tack and we had uh, Dave Pugh coming in to sing for us. So it was like the first big gig for us and then the first like important gig with him. Mm. So uh yeah, it was it was pretty nervy. I remember looking down a lot of my feet for most of the set, which was <laughs> That was very stressful. And, and like, what kind of time slot did they give a band of your stature at the time? As in, how, how long were you allowed to play for? About 30, 40 minutes. We had, yeah, we had a time slot. And I think we, I think it was about 40 minutes. And I think we played under by about four minutes. And that made it into a review somewhere. Right. Um, that we, we finished too early. Because I think it was like, kind of like, try and finish on time. But we were, we were out of song. We literally had I was going to say, yeah. Did you have even enough material at the time to fill? Well, with the... Dave, no. We, we kind of had what we had. So we, we just played. But, you know, it's like it's like the Ramones. You know, every time you go and play live anywhere, you're going to play things like slightly faster, faster than your record speed. Or yeah. you're going to run like three times as fast. Um, so, yeah, I think we burned through it. And we, I think there's, there's somewhere on the internet, there is an interview which tells you exactly how long we played for. Right, they put it in ink. Somebody timed it. Very good. All right. You then had a We Rule the Night reissued by Heavy Forces, and you had to record some more tracks for that. Uh, Lost mm-hmm. to the Void and Echoes. And I was reading recently that you kind of hurriedly wrote and recorded those, which to me was astounding because Echoes is, is such a good, high quality song that ended up on your on your full length album. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, is that just you know? You just came up with these songs because you had to add an extra couple of tracks. Um, had they been ideas that were kicking around at the time, or did you just go in and just write two songs? The, I think a lot of the riffs had been there, um, but that, I, I don't think they were sort of fully formed into anything. There was no arrangement or anything. And it, it, it was uh, was the guy at Stefan, the guy from Heavy Forces, saying you need two tracks. Yeah, I do something with these wrists we've got. I, I remember emailing being like, "No, five is absolutely fine. We don't need to record any more tracks." Um, and and like reeling off like all these like classic EPs that had like five tracks on them, which were really good. That was my justification. It's like, no, I'm not putting five tracks on. But you need to write some more. Yeah. Okay. I put I mean it turned out well like, in the end. Um so in twenty eighteen then there was a release. By this time Danny's in the band, but you kind of gathered up those small early releases and put it out on vinyl called Lost to the Void. So that's kind of handy for fans who mightn't have been listening back then to uh to go and find out about your early days. Does that yeah. do you do you kind of consider that like an, an album or is it just kind of a collection, like a compilation of your old stuff? Yeah, it's just a comp really. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it was even our idea to do it. Was it? No, right. it was uh, Steve uh, when we when we signed to um, Dissonance. Dissonance. Um, yeah, Steve kind of was interested in buying the back catalogue so he could uh, release it as a, a compilation that came out. Um, we had no problems with it. Sure. Okay, and then Danny joins in 2017. So, what was your background, Danny? Had you been in other bands? I know you knew the lads before, but had you been? singing in other bands they seem to take it seemed to take the, the lads by surprise that you could even sing so uh what was your background in music at the time yeah well that eliminates my first and only band um, okay I've, I've ever performed in 
um, musically. Uh, well, I've been a musician since I was a kid. I was a, I, I grew up playing trumpet, um, and then then I was a guitarist, and for some reason I ended up being a being a singer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I never really uh, I never really telegraphed to anyone that I was a singer because it was just something. I enjoyed doing uh, on my own and I wasn't, I wasn't really looking for a band. Um, it was just, you know, a mutual friend of uh, me and Jack um, messaged me saying, oh, I'm looking for a singer. So I, I sent Jack a, a demo track of uh, Crimson, Crimson Glory, uh, right. Eternal, Eternal World. Eternal World, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's where I went, I went for um, an audition and yeah, it's, uh, it, that's where it all came from. So you knew you were, able to sing but it was kind of a private pastime <laughs> like like was you did you just sing at home like sing in the shower or <laughs> like what what kind yeah. of yeah uh well i'm i not just singing i didn't really sing in the shower i, like, I always <laughs> i always like recorded myself and, okay uh, right you know, I, I i i took it sort of well not professionally but like i not not just as like a, a a hobby like i wanted to like i want to learn how to sing i want to sing like heavy metal singers i want to learn how to do that mm. but yeah like i said at the time i didn't necessarily have an intention of of being in a band okay and then did when you when you did so you sent the demo tape obviously it was received very well yeah it was i remember receiving that um so yeah it was a like sing along to um i don't know where you got the track from actually with no vocals but it was crimson glory eternal world i was like fucking hell that is not done it he's this is lined up it was that it was that good i went and listened to the track on transcendence like about three times just to like check it not cheated somehow and like just copied midnight's vocal and altered it slightly yeah. uh yeah i was really impressed with it Okay, and then before you released your first full album, were there gigs to introduce Danny to the audience? And uh, did you did you tour? Oh uh, yeah, um, I think the first gig was uh, in Lancaster, at, um, Yorkshire House, uh, so the sort of classical venue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we had it was only a handful before we met Steve from Dissonance, and we ended up. Uh, you're signing the record deal with him, right? It, was, it wasn't that actually that many gigs. No, it wasn't that many gigs actually. After I think we'd only done probably like two or three with you before that uh, that gig, which was the Unicorn, wasn't it? In, mm, yeah, in yeah. Camden, because Seven Sisters played, and but we'd been warned in advance. Um, Marek, who did Live Evil Pest, was like, "This guy's down." Uh, sort of looking for bands to sign for his label um so we were aware that like you know we were being watched that night right being scouted kind of from the audience yeah potentially could call it that and then um so you, you signed to dissonance which i think is now cherry red or has been purchased by cherry red records um and you recorded your your full album and uh, but before we get to that, actually, what was it like for you, Danny, to sing like songs that had been sung by three previous different singers? How did you adjust to their different vocal styles and put your own spin on it, etc.? Yeah, yeah, I, I actually find that quite difficult, and I, I still do. Um, I think. Well, I was going to say so, some of the hardest songs to sing in Eliminator are the old, older stuff for me. Um, maybe with the new album, that's not true anymore. Um, but but I, I I think generally you you know if if a singer writes some music it's going to fit their voice and everyone's voice is different and yeah there, there was definitely songs i had a lot of trouble with um like some, some of the things tag did on on the ep um I, I i struggled to do and i still do right so just different vocal styles basically yeah yeah and when it came to recording a full album with the band how was it for you then to finally have the freedom to well i suppose not finally i suppose you'd only been in the band a while but like what was it like to then go and express yourself and, and sing in your own voice for the first time with a band. Yeah. Uh, it was a really weird experience that, that, that time it was, uh, when was that November, 2017? Was it? Yeah. That went to the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just started my PhD then I was one month into my PhD. Um, and I, I, my life was just like crazy at the time. And I, I ended up having to, you know, talk to my supervisor and say, I need to take some, I need to take like one and a half weeks off. 
And he's like, oh, but you've just started. Like, oh, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't miss this. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. Uh, uh, I look, I look back really fondly on that. I was reading there recently. It said um, you took only eight days to record the album. So. Was the material written in advance? Did you go in and write as a band or did you have everything written and you were just going in to lay it down, essentially? Yeah, everything was written uh, for that first album. I don't think there was any. There might have been some tiny, I'll change that chord because it sounds a little bit better or there's a little clash there. Just mm. But it was tweaks. We weren't writing anything in there. We, everything had been rehearsed. I think we I think we demoed quite a lot of it as well before we went in. Maybe not as a full band, but we had we had definite like guide guitar tracks already written before we yeah. went in. There was enough to like play along to, wasn't there? So you could go and like rehearse your own parts. Okay. Um and then like this was obviously a huge leap in sound from the earlier stuff you've done, but I assume it felt good to have a, a really good sounding release uh, after the earlier stuff, which to be honest is quite low fi production. Um, well, that, that, that's the difference between going to a professional studio and trying to record it in like Jamie's fucking spare bedroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, this the, the world's apart. Um, so, producer Chris Fielding, who is very good, was recommended to us uh, by Dissonance. They suggested that we should use him, and we were aware of him already and some of the stuff he already worked on which was a bit more extreme metal um but it all had really good production so we thought well let's definitely give this fellow a shot and then like from band to band when you read i don't know interviews and on biographies and things like that sometimes the producer simply sits there and presses record sometimes they have a much more involved and active role how did it work for you no chris uh, did have a few suggestions here and there we weren't sort of rearranging the songs or anything like that but you know there was there's certainly times where he was like have you tried this and he's got a very particular way of like coaxing things out of you which mm. i'm sure the uh, the other guys will agree with so was it like getting you to play it again and again and again to get the best take or, or what like what kind of methods was he using Th- there, there was a lot of just do that one more time <laughs> <clears throat> the guy has his ears of like a bat you know like you'd play something and you like you maybe make the tiniest inaudible mistake that only you would know and he just knew he's like yep you messed up that slide it was the smallest amount out you got to do it again right he's um, really he pays attention it's like incredible how much he takes in because he's like never heard the songs before yeah you know uh, both times we recorded with him he just knows he's super super sensitive to the whole he, um, music thing i guess he notices mistakes that like nobody else in the band that is or if something is like a fraction of a semitone out of tune that you mm. can barely hear yourself that sharp do it again and then like i assume this can become frustrating as well when you think you've done a perfect take um does the frustration inspire you to play better or like how, how do you deal with that i i i didn't find it particularly frustrating to be honest because I, I got chris sort of knows when to like stop and then quote Alan Partridge with us for about 20 minutes when there's like need, need a break and then we go back to it so I think you can sort of sense when it's uh, it's time to just rain rain back a little bit then you play a solo that's hotter than the sun yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, okay uh, that's a that's a deep cut there from Alan Partridge so Thinking about the lyrics of this album, so some of it seems kind of quite sci-fi-ish. I know you said it's kind of a bit of a concept album, but not really. But then you've got Shakespeare in there as well with references to Macbeth and stuff. And kind of sci-fi and Shakespeare are, are kind of strange bedfellows. Like, did you approach it with any type of theme or did you just um, write and whatever came out, came out? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, we just wrote whatever came out. I mean, me and Jack would walk off each other with, with ideas and we both really like sci-fi. So that's... That's generally what came out, and then I just out of out of that work um, emerged some loose story about this uh, last horizon starship, and you know we built the the album um, around that. But then some of the other songs, ideas from other band members, for example, the the Shakespeare song that that came from Jamie. I, I personally think the last song on the album is the best um, spoils of an empire. 
And I was wondering, like, when you're structuring an album, do you like I know some bands like to go out, go out on a killer track. And is that a deliberate like selection to put that in at the end? Because to me, it's like one of the most developed songs or lots of um, really interesting instrumental passages and the vocals are excellent and stuff. But it's like it's at the end, which means in, in the the day and age we live in, some people might not listen to it because they mightn't have the attention span. But it is rewarding when you get there and you listen to that and you're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is getting even better. Uh- it's it's traditional, isn't it, to close an album with a really strong track? Um, you know, and if someone hasn't got the attention span to uh, get to the end of the album, well, that's a problem, isn't it? They'll never get to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like, it's a great track. So there you go. I just mean in the in the Spotify era, like it's mm. traditional listening ha- has has changed, even for me. And I hate to say it, but like, it's I find it hard sometimes to commit to listening to an album straight through and. I don't know if it's me or if it's just how technology has messed with me. I used to sit there and just listen to an album straight through. But if you look at plays of, of albums, this kind of fascinates me of band. You'll see the on like the Spotify app, you'll see the, the listens declining as the album goes on. Track one will have 10,000. Track two will have 8,900. Yeah, track track 10 will have 1,500. So like, I think people's, I don't know. What do you think? Like the, what kind of feedback do you get from people? Do you find your fans are still more traditional? They listen to full albums and they appreciate the whole thing? Hmm. I think the ones that have, that have bothered to come over and talk to us about the record after shows have tended to talk about like most songs on the record, including the last song. Hmm. Um, so I think the people that are really into it still do listen to the whole thing, whether it's in one go or not. I don't really know. Hmm. Um, the, the ones that don't, I suppose we... We've got a compromise this time because we, you know, we've released this single, um, Silent Storm, and we're going to be releasing a couple more. Like that, that, that sort of like picks up those people that you know might not want to sit through the whole album. Um, so, so you know, you're addressing that, that that thing that's happening with with modern technology and just listen to the first song and quitting the album, but still, he's gone. Yeah, it proper fully in flow there as well. I know we ran. I just lost you there for a second, Danny. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so my uh, <laughs> this is my work laptop, and it's not very good. It's grand. Oh, you're back now. Anyway, it was only for it's only for a few seconds. You were saying there anyway. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just to to to, to put it quickly, um, releasing these singles picks up people who are not going to listen to the full album, uh, and it's a good compromise because we can still have the album in the traditional format that we want to present the songs in. And how do you feel about the whole streaming, um, like as a platform? Like I've spoken to other bands like Kyle from Seven Sisters and people who are kind of your genre. Um, and they have the very, like a whole, the whole like spectrum of, of opinions about it. Like, well, how do you feel about the likes of Spotify and, and things like that as an artist? Or I don't know who wants to answer that, but as a band, like, um, I like obviously the, how they pay people is, is widely uh, covered and like smaller bands get very little money, but how do you feel about streaming as a platform? Do you think it's a good thing in general or a bad thing? Well, I'm certainly not going to sit here and like, Slag off Spotify and Century Tell because yeah, I have Spotify and I use it every single day. Um, you know, it's it's a handy way to access music at any given time, and you know, I, I like that about it. Um, but yeah, you know, there's there's certainly a lot of questions to be raised about the, the their ethics and how they do treat smaller artists and they sort of like algorithmic pushing of particular um, music. Um, but I, I don't think it particularly impacts me as a listener because I never listen to what Spotify tells me to anyway. I go and uh, seek out what I, I want to listen to on there, which often there's gaps. That's that's annoying about it. There's loads of gaps, like in albums, discog- in bands' discographies and things like that in Spotify. Yeah. Piss me off. You know, the thing with Spotify as well is that people seem to forget for like the 15 years before Spotify was out, everyone pirated music. Everyone downloaded audio MP3s and burnt them to CDs and had them in their car. Everyone knows someone who has a CD wallet with a hundred burnt CDs in it of like any band you can imagine, you know? <laughs> and some people probably still have them. I like, we're just like forgetting that ever happened. That was really ripping people off because that was definitely for nothing. But I think the ethos on piracy or Spotify is kind of the same. The people who like the music will ultimately buy the music and come to your shows. They will. That's it, yeah. That's the, yeah, the, 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 the diehard fans, metal fans are like big consumers of vinyl, aren't they? Mm. Every, yeah. Everybody likes having shitloads of records. So if they buy the record, then that's great. And then obviously you can't take turntable 
uh, on the train with you, so there's Spotify. Yeah, and like like t- talking about the pros and cons of it. One pro that I've heard is that um, the person who's listening to you on Spotify probably never would have bought your music because they wouldn't have known about you. And it is kind of a window to the world then because personally, I discovered Eliminator on Spotify and it was due to one of the suggestions that's made by Spotify itself because I'd been listening to something else and it played one of your songs. Um, and that's how I kind of got into the band. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was at um, the Visigoth shows in in uh, London back in March 2020, last concerts I've been to actually, and I didn't realise what time you were playing at and I missed you, you'd just come off stage, but uh, I did I did really want to go and see you, so try and try and sort that out. Have you got much um, gigs coming up? I know you're doing a load of gigs in October uh, alongside Seven Sisters um, mm-hmm. and Toledo Steel. Is that it for the moment? Have you got stuff booked for next year? Or can you talk about that even? It's, uh, we're, I don't think there's anything confirmed at the moment, but We've we've got some plans that we're working on. I think it would be nice to try and get something in uh, after the album comes out. So probably February time would be nice to get out. Um, but I mean, we'll take a gig when we can get one. Really, you know, providing everybody's available. Um, we, we you know we tend to book them quite sporadically. So yeah, I would rule out of- gigs happening between now and then. Yeah, we'll do some album release shows. <clears throat> well, the album comes out in January. We'll do we'll do a couple of shows, um, just for like the sake of releasing the record, and then um, yeah, depending on availability, we'll we'll start booking uh, probably another tour. And I'm guessing this is probably the longest that any of you have gone without playing shows. How, how has that been as um, an active live band? How has it been not being able to play shows? Fucking nightmare. Boring. Yeah. And like, does does writing an album in the meantime? help to scratch that itch or is it something completely different to live experience oh definitely 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 helped definitely killed the time if we'd have if we'd have just put a record out and then the lockdown happened we would have done probably nothing for like the best part of a year and a half yeah you know so right so that actually leads me to my next question so the album which is coming out next year ancient light was all recorded remotely. Um, this is obviously the first time you've ever done anything like this. How was that process? And what, compared to the previous album, which was presumably recorded like when everyone was there all together, how was this? And what, like, was it better? Was it worse? It wasn't recorded remotely. It oh, wasn't. It was, it was written remotely. Sorry, yeah. I, I took that up wrong from your <laughs> Facebook post. Sorry. No, no, so we went to the studio in March to record it. Um, right. Apologies. All the rehearsals and writing were done. But most of the writing was done remotely. There was a few tracks that probably existed prior to uh, the pandemic. Okay, so you're kind of all in your own homes writing pieces, and is mm-hmm. it just a case you were just file sharing riffs and vocal melodies and that like things like that? Yeah, uh, yeah pretty much. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a Google Drive that we all collaborate on, and we'd have like different meetings with different band members to work on whether it was lyrics or guitars or drums or whatever. Uh, yeah, it was. There's a lot of demos being passed between oh, each yeah. other with sort of incremental changes on them. Okay. Yeah. And like, what, like, did that make it more difficult to complete a song, like, um, because of the nature of having to send it to someone, and then maybe them not being able to view it then until the next day or later or whatever. I, I find it frustrating because I I prefer to go in the practice room. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think I think Jack was. Jack was impacted the most by that. Um, but but uh, for, for me, I, I it was fine because honestly, that was my first true writing experience. So I didn't know any other way. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's this is a concept album as opposed to the last one. And I was reading the description of the concept and I had to actually Google the word entropy. It's some, a word I've heard, but I'm not really familiar with it. So why don't you explain what the album is about or what the concept is? <laughs> we, we probably can't explain what the full concept is because we, we don't know it enough ourselves. It is ridiculously complicated. Um, it's a concept that Danny and I spent like lots and lots of nights up until very, very early hours like making this kind of like law and this universe. And then it wasn't going to be a concept album again, but then um, we got so far into it, but so much work and we thought, well, we may as well. And there's like a lyrical way to tie everything together. So, um, but I, I will, I, when I have a, like, so even now I'll go to Danny and say, so this part of the story is about this bit. And he'll be like, no, that's not how I interpret it at all. So we still disagree on what the whole concept's about in some levels. Okay. Um, so I'll let, I'll let Danny 
give his best description of um, what the record's about. Oh, but that, that, that difference differences in interpretation is fine. Like uh, it, it, it sort of like got away from us a little bit, and I think uh, I think it's interesting how me and Jamie do interpret it uh, differently. But uh, yeah, what the, the album's about is uh, it's, it's just about the the end of time, and we we sort of try to personify different different concepts that you know might exist. So um, it, the the, the main track, uh, the main character, I guess you'd say, is um, the 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 spectre of, of entropy, the the thing that's uh, trying to you know destroy the universe, and this thing's the reason why everything is is ending. You know, we've given a name, a personality, and a couple of tracks, and uh, different different concepts of uh, um, personifications as well. And it's and th- their songs, their respective songs, are about how they. Sort of interact with with the fall of the uh, the universe. Okay, all right. So I mean, it sounds straightforward enough. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like honestly, like the conversations we had sounded like two guys who've been like smoking joints all night, who were like having this like moment of like, whoa, wouldn't this be a cool idea? And then talking complete shit. But we we weren't high. That was just like we were just getting really into it. It was really nerdy. Well, it's, it does sound really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. I enjoyed the first track uh, quite a lot and. Yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to go to any of those shows. The flights to the UK from Ireland are absolutely outrageously expensive, so I just couldn't justify it. Um, it's like they were coming up from 250 to 300 euro and oh, stuff. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what, what the story is with that. Like everywhere, Leeds, Newcastle, everywhere. I was like, oh, no, can't. Uh, but um, I am looking forward to seeing you hopefully <clears throat> next year when the album is coming out. That's in 2022, January 2022. Yeah. yeah. January 2022 okay. for the CD and digital, and then July 2022 for the vinyl. Kind of actually, actually, now that you mention it, so uh, even from ordering stuff myself, how is how the vinyl delays affected you? Like, it seems like bands kind of who aren't signed to one of the major record labels are yeah. waiting forever to get their hands on their albums. That, that's why. Yeah. That's because why if you're on a major label, you get to kind of, you know, slip a cool 10 million to the pressing plant and you get to jump the queue, right? Yeah. yeah. So are they just giving you a six-month lead-in, or, or like what? What are they saying to yeah. you if you say we want to produce X number of albums? What are they kind of? What's the response? You'd have to ask Cherry Red to get the details, but uh, my rationale, my sort of line of thought on that is right. Everything gets released on vinyl, though, doesn't it? Even mm. big pop records get released on yeah on vinyl. So fucking Beyonce, Taylor Swift, have, everything, yeah. <laughs> Expensive record label and be pressing more albums than we will. So the factories are probably going to prioritize it. Yeah. Okay. So it's just hard to kind of get your. Yeah. It was when we when when um, Cherry Red. So you mentioned earlier about Distance and Cherry. Red. So Distance still exists as a label, but Cherry Red now own Distance, and we right. worked with a, a label manager called Dan, who was his ex Eric. And when he first joined up, he joined Cherry Red to manage Distance. And there was a cherry red policy that um, I believe everything had to come out at the same time. So that would CD and vinyl. Mm. And I think then it, it quickly kind of turned into, okay, well, that's impossible. We can't, we can't sit on these things for a year while we wait for vinyl to be ready. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad that that's down, not the policy. So that okay. we can put something out. Yeah. Okay. And I, I suppose like tr- true fans and hardcore fans are, don't mind waiting to get their hands on the vinyl really like, because they can listen to it in, advance on spotify and things like as we've discussed one last thing i wanted to ask your band along with many others toledo steel and seven sisters and other like american bands like night demon are often grouped together into a movement called the new wave of traditional heavy metal is that something that you feel you're a part of do you consider yourselves part of a movement or is that just kind of a meaningless phrase that was made up by the media and you just played the music you wanted to play anyway um Oh, well, we started doing this before that term started being sort of uh, brandished so much. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a, a resurgence um, of bands. Um, but I think people are very, very quick to put labels onto things. And like mm. the fact there is an opportunity to lump all these bands together, people are going to jump on that. Um, in terms of like feeling connected to a movement myself not particularly uh i'd say probably feel you know some more affinity with our like direct peers in our scene that we you know seven sisters for example um yeah probably feel like that's probably more of a movement um but it's a sort of on a global 
stage like it is with the Watham. The Watham. Um yeah, I, mean, I, I couldn't say that I would, you know, feel particularly connected to some of these bands that are, you know, a thousand miles away. Yeah, I, I don't I don't particularly identify with it, but I do believe that it's it serves like a utilitarian function. It's it's just a way of quickly communicating some information to, to another person. You know, mm. if you say, Oh, this one's you could say this band's part of the new author movement. And, you know, already that person you're speaking to has a decent idea of what that band is mm. about. Maybe not specifics about their sound, but you get an idea that, you know, the yeah. band, they're playing kind of traditional heavy metal. Like, mm. it's, just, it's just utility. You can almost hear it, the music before you've ever listened to it. That's a, that's how I find it convenient with that. Like, or something somebody's described as a new wave of British heavy metal. You can almost kind of hear, picture it in your mind. And same with the the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Uh, for me, anyway. Uh, Jamie, did you have anything to add to that? I uh, know I'm I'm in complete agreement. I I don't feel like uh, the the movement is something we we don't go around telling people we're a northern band. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely not. Um, but um, I, I think Jack's point there was really good. You know. Um, the, the kind of connection I feel is to the other bands in the scene and the people who come to the shows most definitely. Sure. That means a lot more to me than any any type of music. <clears throat> yeah. And um do you like speaking of fans, um do you encourage I'm never sure like whether or not to approach a band after a show. Sometimes I feel like maybe they might like to be left alone. They've just played a gig. And other times I want to just go up and speak to them because I'm such a fan and I don't know, I just want to vomit some opinion of how good their music is at them <laughs> usually drunk um but like do, do you welcome that kind of interaction because at bands at your level it's you're you're very accessible but do you welcome that do you like talking yeah, to people at shows yeah we, we like a drink as well you know we're yeah. pretty pretty gregarious and usually we'll have a few pints after the show so yeah. and you should What's never worry about situation? going up to a band after a show i bet they would all be happy to speak to you um, well, I, may, I mainly do, but sometimes I anyway, I've had I've had mixed results. But mostly, people have been really sound, and actually, it's led to me being able to kind of ask people if they'd like to do a podcast and stuff like that. So um, it's worked out well for me as well. Um, okay, so that's I'm going to wrap it up there. But um, if people want to find out about you, are you active on social media? Is there any places people should look for you? Yeah, we probably should be more active on social media. We're so crap at it, um, but we are making more of an effort to update everything. Uh, now we've got a new album coming out, so there is a Facebook page. And you can find that by putting Eliminator Heavy Metal uh, into the search bar. Um, there is, we also have an Instagram now, because uh, apparently we have to do that. And um, again, same, Eliminate Heavy Metal. Yeah. Uh, then there is the Bandcamp, um, which is eliminatorheavymetal.bandcamp.com. Am I right? I don't Not- know. I never go on it. Maybe. Yes. Yeah, I reckon. If you put Eliminate Heavy Metal into the search engine, I reckon you'll probably find us. Worst case scenario, you'll end up with that German thrash band called Eliminator, who are also pretty good. Yeah, Yeah. and the Canadian thrash band as well called Eliminator. Actually, there's one one final thing I'd like to ask. So when it comes to a name, Eliminator is... um, it's not the most obscure of words. Um, I was ch- talking to Jake Rogers from Visigoth and about this topic as well, and he mentioned the name Visigoth. He's like, there's one punk band from the 70s called Visigoth, so they thought they were fairly safe to just use that name. Um, do you go and copyright that, or do you just hope it never becomes an issue? Well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you the scoop on this then. So that was a last-minute decision because we had a gig. I think it was our first-ever gig, mm. and... The, the pub that was hosted was like, what's your name? We need to put posters up. We were like, oh, fuck, I don't know. Um, so we came, and it just stuck. So we came up on the spot and it just stuck. And it has, it's, it's led to confusion. Um, people think we're as easy top tribute bands sometimes. But I mean, I'd really like Zuzi Top and I would prefer to be in as easy top tribute band than this one. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, so yeah, people have mixed us up uh, a few times because of the name. I remember being reviewed once and we got an absolute slagging uh, for a live performance. And they were like, the thrash metal stylings of uh, Canada's Eliminator. And it's like, ah, you haven't fucking watched us, mate. You've just got <laughs> a typed Eliminator fan into Google and slagged us off. Yeah. God. But uh, do, like, does it become a concern Like when you're producing merchandise, T-shirts, stuff like that? Like, does, like, presumably somebody owns the name. It, like, I'm guessing that you don't. So d- no. does that become an issue? not yet not really. <laughs> but if we can make it some kind of you know get some kind of religious connection to it then no one can copyright it 
So we'll try and go for that instead. Let's start a cult. I've always wanted to do that. A religious connection? Yeah, like Madonna can be called Madonna because it's a religious name and no one can do anything about it. Oh, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. All right, yeah. Okay. You'd hope ZZ Top owned it, to be honest. (laughs) They should. They should. Um, All right, look, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks a million, Danny, Jack, and Jamie for joining me. And I hope to see you soon in the future doing some gigs. I'm looking forward to the new album. And yeah, like really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks, man. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Okay, so that was the lads from Eliminator there, Jack, Jamie and Danny. Very grateful to have them on the show. So thank you very much for giving me your time, all three of you at once as well, which, as I said, was completely new to me, but I think it actually flowed quite nicely and everybody was very polite and nobody was really talking over each other too much. So it worked out really well for a four-person conversation uh, being recorded for a podcast. If this episode has intrigued you and you've never listened to Eliminator before, I highly recommend you check out their first album, but also listen to the two recent singles, which I believe are actually an improvement on the first album. And I'm going to play out this episode with their latest single. It's just released. It's called Arrival from the forthcoming album Ancient Light, released in January 2022. This is Arrival by Eliminator, and I will see you next time. (laughs) 